welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hi, so I'm back today. Welcome to Rich in Life. I'm Rich Irani, and this is part two of Vince Spinato. Now, I don't really want to go back and tell you everything that I said. Just listen. It is so interesting. I'll just give you a little hint. He is the brilliant cosmetic chemist behind probably some of the brands you're using on your face. He's going to tell us how he dodged a terrorist plane attack, a tornado to watch his car go flying up in the air, how he almost died of pancreatitis, and how he set his house on fire, completely on fire and lost everything. All this while developing perfumes and skincare for some of the biggest celebrities in the world. Here's Vince Spinato. You yeah. almost died from pancreatitis. Is that how to say it? Correct. Yes, correct. I, I mean, you really almost died. Yeah, and it, it was from it was from the uh, the staph infection, the MRSA. Correct. So actually, it all was triggered together. I had, I got pancreatitis and when, and people that have pan, that had pancreatitis in the past will know that it's one of the worst pains you ever could feel in your life. So it's someone like being kicking you from the inside out and you get like a very, very distended stomach because it's all kind of pushed out and, and it's distended and the, the pain is just horrible. And I, once again, I got a staph infection when I was in the hospital, uh, MRSA, and it traveled through my body. So I was like, I was like down for the count. I mean, they called in the priest. I got last rites, everything. And I was, it, it was like a day later, the medicine that was, that was a special medicine they were waiting for to be released from the FDA actually for me to be able to get it. It's, it's so, because I had these staph infections so many times, I'm immune to like Cipro, Leviquin. They don't do anything for me. It's like taking a Skittle. So they had to get a, a medicine, uh, I think it's vancomycin that had to be released from the FDA at the time. So we had to wait for it to be flown in. And the day, and so I was almost like down. So that came in and that saved my life, that medicine. I remember reading in the book, you being in the hospital and hearing the helicopter and the nurses right. ran into you because like you said, they came in to read you, you know, the priest came in because they really thought you were going to die. And when they heard the right. helicopter, I have the chills landing, the right. nurses came in and said, it's here, it's here, the medicine is here. And as soon as right. you got that medicine, within an hour, you said you felt better. I would come back in about an hour and, and I was always like conscious and all of that, but I was, I was like slipping away and that's one big big problem still to this day and the rest of my life because i've had so many surgeries and so many problems and so many infections that most of these i mean cipro and leviquin that, that's a massive you know um you know bacteria killer and does, 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 they don't do anything for me so i so i even like a good old-fashioned z-pack which people take for erythromycin you know for you know for a, a cold it's like taking an m&m for me so that's a big problem that i have and i'm always going to have the rest of my life that i need these hard hardcore um stuff so that's why i'm like trying to stay away from this this covid 19 like the plague because i just if i get this thing i mean it could be, it could be a common flu for me or, or it could kill me I, i'm still a young guy and i have i have no like i'm not overweight or that kind of stuff but i do have all those pre those pre-existing conditions as far as having infections so yeah. i'm just like i'm always masked up i'm always doing what i can do so, so so far so good as of today i haven't gotten it yet but okay, you know good yeah, you have to, yeah. you're compromised, so you definitely have to be safe. But um, are right. you still lighting your candelabras, Liberace? I, I, I was cracking I up. Wait, I'm sorry I that I left. I, I have to tell, I have to no, tell the audience listening that when I was reading your book 
and you were lighting your candles. Nobody was coming over. You remind me a little bit of me. I come home, yeah. I light a couple of candles that smell good. I fix all the lighting. You know, I let the kids run around, but this is my time. So I do the same thing. You came home to your big, beautiful house. That was perfection because you were an obsessive compulsive shopper and you love the right. best of everything. So your house was to perfection. And even alone, you would go home and on top of the piano was there, there was a piano if, I'm, if I remember, was there a piano in your house? Yeah, grand piano, correct. And you had a candelabra on it, which I'm thinking Liberace. That's when I, in my head, you became Liberace. You're lighting the candles for nobody to come over. And suddenly your house goes, it catches on to the drapes, to the furniture. Your house completely gets demolished in a fire. Correct, correct. You lose everything. Like, yes, all, all 45 years worth of stuff. And I had, a, I had a brand new puppy. And that's kind of what happened. And I, I was holding her in my arms. I only had her for two days. This was this happened to be on Super Bowl Sunday, so I had, all my friends had just left, and I, like to your point, I just Super Bowl was over, everybody left, I cleaned up and lit all my candles and the stuff, and I had my new puppy, and she just kind of squirmed out of my arms, and I tried to catch her, and my elbow hit the candelabra, and it fell inside the open part of the grand piano and the curtain, uh, and to find out later from the firefighters that the, the black lacquer on grand piano that gets or equivalent to gasoline, and it, it just was like it was like it was seconds, the whole entire the house was on fire. So it was, it was, it's a horrible story because I, I dropped my puppy. She was only with, with three days. I only had her for three days and her name was actually back to Dynasty. I, I named all my dogs after Dynasty cast members. So I have, I had Fallon, I had Sable. This one was Alexis, Carrington, Colby, Dexter, Rowe, and Spinato was who this was. And I, I lost her in a fire. I couldn't find her. So I stayed in the fire uh, about three minutes longer than I was supposed to trying to find, trying to find a dog. And that, again, that put me back in the hospital again, where my lungs got compromised, my lungs got burned out, my esophagus. I another thing that almost killed me, but I lost a puppy in the fire. So it was, all, it was, so it was many things that were just horrible about it. The loss of the, the dog, you know, all my stuff, the house, I and mean, everything. No matter, this is pretty recent. This is only about five years ago. So I started from scratch again. Was I mean, I didn't even have a toothbrush. So I had. I know you were telling me somebody had to actually come give you stuff to wash your face with, soap. I mean, right. you had nothing at all, no clothes, everything oh. was gone. Yeah, nothing, yep. You know, but, I did, but I did I did have the lab, thank God. So the business, my business was able to keep going, but because the lab was in a different location, but the, but anything in the house in the, was all gone. You really had to start over. You had nine lives. You had to start over so many different lives. times. But yeah, you had more <laughs> I than I nine. Yeah. And it's funny because I was wondering if you're clumsy because I'm a very clumsy person. Now, I don't know if you're clumsy. I'm extremely clumsy. I am. I am. You clumsy. are. Yes. My, my current boyfriend right now, we actually was joking about the other day. I met, he flew in, he's a Canadian. He flew in from Canada and I met him at a resort in Arizona where I was staying. And he got to the property. Like I walked, we walked into the golf cart to go to the room and I cracked my head on the golf cart. And I was bleeding. So, I mean, I literally- Sorry, I, I'm laughing. So I, no, it's funny. I, I had been it's in me. person. Like, it was the first three minutes of meeting him in person and I was already bleeding out of my head. So okay. something always happens to me. Yeah. So my favorite clumsy story, one of my favorite in your book was you finally get the chance to use- Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> you know where yeah. I'm going with this. The, I mean, out of okay. everything that happened from pancreatitis to everything, to me, this was one of the worst things that could happen to you. You finally have a connection to the iconic Lauren Bacall, who's willing to Correct. sit down and have lunch with you because she likes you and wants to hear about this skincare that, you know, these creams and your skincare that you want to 
you know, have developed. And she meets you at this very famous restaurant. Did I say it right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, she the comes idea, wearing a white right. suit, correct? Right. Yeah, a white Donna Karen suit from head to toe with a beautiful white brim hat. She looked just, just breathtaking, but all in white. Yeah. And so you sit at this table, which of course is a little wobbly. And what do you proceed to do? Well, which part? I mean, we well, the first when you took your bag and you put it on the table and the right, I, right, I put my bag on the table in the corner of the table, the whole table went flying up in the air. And at that point, it just was very embarrassing. And this was like one minute in. She was very, very elegant. She was a smoker, so she was like leaning back in her chair and saying, "Oh my God," you just kind of like that. But everything went wrong. The policy could have gone wrong. Then I ordered like you know wine, and I she drinking her wine and I swung my arm again and I threw the wine right on top right on top of her and then she was still trying to be somewhat cool and she was like oh yeah okay and then the main course came and I and they adjusted the table for me and they actually made it you know they put like the friggin like salt shaker underneath the table whatever it was I mean like salt packets I should say sugar packets actually they made the other side on even so I put my elbow down I ended up throwing a whole thing of spaghetti into her lap and she's like that's it I'm done I'm out (laughs) and it's just like uh, this is like you know Lauren Bacall and it's like I I think of Hollywood now it's like Hollywood and that kind of thing but to me and probably to you too growing up I, I'm this was like royalty I mean this is the Lauren Bacall the Sophia Lorenz the you know Marilyn Monroe that whole category of, of stars and I'm like this is like so literally everything that went wrong went wrong if it could it was just horrible. Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman, Marilyn Monroe there were so many incredible actresses that, and what I loved about them mostly was not just the fact that they were elegant, but the fact that they really didn't, you didn't know about their personal lives. They were really an enigma to me. Well, the best part of that is how I actually met her. And to your point, I was trying to get to meet with the stars. This is kind of a horrible way I did it. But again, once also down the road, it was the week that Jimmy Stewart had passed away, another massive gigantic star. And the funeral was across the street. And I and you went. I went to the funeral. And I was sitting in the back and everybody was there. Kate Hepburn, Bob Hope. I mean, uh, again, Lauren Bacall. I mean, Catherine Grayson. I mean, everybody, everybody was there. Ann Miller. I was not there to actually drum up business at, at Jimmy Stewart's funeral, but on the way out, I did bump into Lauren Bacall and we started, we started chatting because I complimented her on her actually on the fragrance she had on. And I started, I said, oh, I'm a cosmetic chemist and blah, blah. And I was like, I have my own line. The line, I'd love for you to try it one day. And that's how it, so I actually met her at Jimmy Stewart's funeral. <laughs> Did you ever see her or speak to her again after that lunch? That would, I actually didn't. And that, so that was, so that's one in my, in the back of my filing cabinet in my head that just went horribly wrong. I never spoke to her <laughs> again. And it just was like, you know, I, I, I was her, I, I mean, because of, I kind of hit up a friendship with her, I had direct contact with her. There was no, like, no agent or nothing. So we just, I was talking to her directly, and I just never, she never returned any calls again. So that was just the one. <laughs> that was a it. That was, uh, it. that was a wrap. That was painful to read, I have to tell you, but I was cracking up. And <laughs> another thing that I felt fascinating was the fact that you were always buying people's love, particularly one particular boy, Rob who told right. you he was a dancer. Now I have an experience like that as well, 
it wasn't a, a romantic one, but when I had my store in Soho, I hired this very nice looking boy and he kept telling me he was a dancer and I'm thinking, great, you know, on Broadway, I'm thinking for years. And then one night, I think I was at the Sound Factory or Twilo, I don't remember. And I saw him right. naked coming down from the ceiling in the box. This is a right. year later, I find out that this guy, his name is Mel, was working for me, he was Brazilian, was, right. was uh, what do you call it, a, a naked dancer. Right. And it doesn't come across as funny in the book, but I love saying it live because he came to me one day after about a month in and he goes, Vince, I got to tell you something. He goes, I'm a, and I'm so naive. I'm like, and I'm like, I don't know anything about being gay or not. This is my first boyfriend ever. I'm, 20, I'm only 19, 18 years old at the time. He goes, I'm a dancer. I'm like, I'm like, oh, ballet, jazz, tap. He goes, no, exotic. I'm like, what? So I'm like, ballet, jazz, tap. And he's like, nope, exotic. So I'm like, oh, okay. That was interesting. I mean, to this. But you fell for him so hard that you paid for not only his clothes, not only uh, you bought him a car, a boat, you paid for his college. And he was on drugs when he moved to LA, when he, you finally got him to move to be with you. Yeah. He yeah. was never really with you. You guys never really had a physical relationship. He, he, he moved to LA about seven years. And I met him in, I met him in um, a couple days before I turned 20 years old. And he passed away from the drug overdose right a couple of days after I turned 30. So literally every single day of my 20s, I was involved in this nightmare relationship. So it was like it was 10 years worse. And he moved out like in year seven. But at that point, he already was doing drugs. But to your point, I thought that's what this what love was. I, I mean, we probably slept together intimately, like actually had sex probably, I think, 10 times in 10 years. That was it. So that as you know, as gay men, that's like way off. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so, in the book, I didn't even catch that from the book. I didn't even get that in the book. But yeah, I didn't know yeah. that. Or at least yeah. you had so that. That's like, that's what this, what, what this was. So, and again, he was the first guy uh, that gave me attention. Because I, I had crushes on, on my, some of my friends in high school and that kind of stuff, which wasn't reciprocal because I mean, they were straight. So that was really hard emotionally. But then I met a guy that actually was gay and liked me, you know, but he, I met him Thanksgiving weekend. And then on New Year's Eve night, which is only four to five days later, he broke up with me. And for the next nine years and 11 months, I was chasing him to get him back. So that's how damaging it was in my head. And then why I saw, I, mean, I don't know what I thought I wanted, but I was, so we actually were boyfriends for 45 days officially. And so you I, spent so much money on him. You were probably what, I mean, at one point you said you were $60,000 on credit cards. Um, right. and credit card debt because of him. But as I kept reading, you kept doing more for him. So it had to be a lot more than 60 grand. Oh yeah, and it was, again, it was not that I had the money. I just was robbing Peter to pay Paul, putting it on credit cards, moving it around. And then unfortunately when he became a drug addict, at that point, everyone was told using checks. He used to go to Las Vegas and actually cast checks on my checks at the Mandalay Bay and at the Wynn Hotel and stuff. And I, and I didn't find out actually until he, until he passed away. After he passed away, I got like a letter from all these companies saying you owe us you owe the Mandalay Bay $40,000 or you owe the Wynn Hotel $20,000. So I had to go through a whole thing of showing that he had passed away, that it was fraud. So the whole thing was a, night, it was a nightmare. All this while you were developing white label, private label, and developing yeah. your own products, perfumes, creams that you'd never imagine the biggest stars in the world are not only using, but they're using you to make it for them. You literally made this turnkey business of skincare and perfumes. And that's that, that's one, one thing I've always had, Rich, and I don't know where it came from, where I've always been able to have that division. So I can be 
like one minute before this podcast, which is not the case, I could be like crying my eyes out for something and I can be like, I could turn it on and do what I got to do for my clients. So, I mean, I, I've been in hospital beds working from the computer, taking care of the stuff. I've been 104 fever in the lab, making their samples. I've never let them down. And any client I talk to, you would talk to would tell you the same thing about me. I have had that ability to just pretend it's not there and then then go home and then break and, now, and don't get me wrong I, I would be sitting in a corner flipping a light switch on and off for half an hour afterwards i come home from work but i still was able to get, get the job done that's a little fatal attraction that side note no but that was what i was very impressed with i don't have what you have i don't have that i i, I need time to recover when things traumatic happen to me you seem right. to have gone from one to the other and done it at the same time i mean you worked for free and then to make money on the side you went to go to futons and then sold your creams on the side of that all the while sending money to rob and having him come back and forth i mean you had all these balls in the air juggling it's amazing that you got to where you got Right. And the balls were not where I wanted them. They're different. They're the right balls. Right. <laughs> right. If you guys are going to do anything, whoever's listening to this has to get My Pursuit of Beauty. It's a great book The Glitz, The Glam, and The Batshit Crazy. I've never been more entertained. And it's not fair. By the way, you seem like a ball of fun. And I'm so annoyed that I wasn't friends with you during this whole thing, which, awesome. oh, wait, I, I, we didn't even touch on something. I want to ask, when did you, when, when were you allowed to start talking about the terrorist attack on the plane? Because you were not allowed to talk about that attack. Correct. Correct. It was actually about a year or two later. Uh, what happened was Entertainment Tonight did a, a little expose, a very small piece on Eric Braden, who coincidentally, by the way, was, was on The Young and the Restless. So I was sitting next to him. So, that, so that's just really full circle, weird stuff. Weird. So me and him were yeah, Can I just set it up? I just want to set it up for listeners. So here we is, Vin. Spinato is on first class on a plane going, I think, to Canada, was it? So, yep, exactly. Yep, he was going to Canada. And he's in love with the show The Young and the Restless, in love that in Dynasty, his two favorite shows. He gets on the plane. He sits in first class, you know, getting his stuff together, his Louis Vuitton luggage that, you know, it's probably his fourth one that he's bought because the other one went up in a tornado, which I actually want to ask you about after. But so he sits there and then turns to his left and sees this beautiful um, soap opera star sitting next to him that he's been watching forever. What was his name? Eric Braden. Eric Braden. Victor Newman on Young and the Restless. Okay. Turns yeah. out you hear commotion all the way in the back, and there is a guy screaming that he's going to kill everybody, locks himself in the bathroom. Smoke starts coming out from underneath the – from the laboratory. Right. The stewardesses go crazy, running from the pilot to the back. Take it from there. Yeah, you have exactly – the setup is perfect. It was – this was on September 22nd. This is only like 11 days after 9-11. So this, this was the first day that we were – like the FDA – FDA, FAA, excuse me, opened up flying again. So everybody was like, I mean, you probably remember that period of time. You would sneeze and, and people would be like scared. So we always were always so like so wired for sound already. But this, it was a, a Palestinian um, man and woman that were hell bent and taken down this plane we were in. And they, what they did was they went into the restroom and they lit the toilet on fire. They put a whole bunch of paper and stuff in the toilet because that's where the gas tanks were at. And they wanted to try and blow it up over downtown Los Angeles. So we, we, were, we left from LAX. And we only got as far as downtown LA when this was actually happening. So it was only like two minutes into the flight. Because when you leave LA, most people will know that fly out of LA, you go, you go over the ocean first and you kind of turn around if you're going in the other direction. So it just, it started from there. And 
and all, and I have the, the guy from the Young and Restless sitting next to me. And so it was a, I mean, it's such a long, long story, but we, the thing that saved our lives was that we were on a Canadian aircraft because that morning also, I remember walking out of the, my house, locking my door. I left my TV on because I had my, my dog was there and my friend was going to come watch it. And I remember um, Dick Cheney talking and saying that, and he was enforcing rules of engagement starting today, whatever, which, so I just kind of heard that in the back of my mind. So then exactly what happened was when we had this problem going on, we had F-15 fighter jets show up on each side of our wings allowed and prepared to shoot us down. So the only thing that saved us was that we were on a Canadian aircraft and the U.S. government couldn't get the permission to shoot it down. So they were trying to get a hold of the prime minister of Canada at the time. And he was in some kind of under, you know private meeting somewhere. They couldn't get a hold of him. So being on a Canadian flight is what actually saved our lives because because the Americans couldn't shoot us down even though we were in we were in America. At but the you time. did see the F-15 planes on the side of you when you looked outside of your window. They, they were ne right next to my eyes. They were. We were I remember. I, I mean, I remember what the guy looks like. I mean, but you I, didn't we know like, that they weren't going to shoot you down then. No, no. The, the, the pilot was the halfway through this ordeal. The pilot came on and it did everything in French first, which was kind of frustrating because we didn't know because it was again it's a Canadian flight and so they were talking in French first and then we were trying to figure out what's happening. And he took he was very, very honest and we'll never forget it. We actually took a boat, just like they did, I think, on flight 93, when we hear from the stories, you know, could we just again right after 9-11? And he came on and said, We have two options. We can either try and land on the ocean or just you know and try and get back the lax or and then that, that was our first uh, then like 10 minutes later and said we don't have a choice we're we're being we're going to be shot down and we he came out and took a like came he came out of the cockpit and told us you know what was going on and we all were saying as a pilot i can try and try and make a landing for us you know, what do we do and everyone voted to either potentially you know hurt people on the ground or just get shot down. And, we, and like everyone raised their hand to be shot down. So it was horrible. So now we're, all, we're over the Pacific Ocean just waiting. Wait, I have down. the chills. I, this, we can't just fly over this. This gives my right, body. So the pilot comes out and tells everyone, we could either try to land there, but it could potentially hurt a lot of innocent people. The only other option is being shot down by the F-15 planes that are on the side of us. We need to take a vote. The pilot tells everybody on the plane, we need to take a vote what you want to do. 90% of the hands that went up were in favor of being shot down before hurting right. anybody else on the ground. Right, correct. Because again, the the, the, the towers coming down, and everything were so fresh in everybody's mind. And this this, this this person in the back of the plane was screaming, "There's a bomb on a plane!" So like we, if we were to explode in our minds, like we were to kill a lot of people. So again, after 9/11, knowing what the what we thought the outcome was going to be, it's like why you know why hurt other people? Well, they and, didn't want it to crash into another building. Was the point? So before it can right, crash exactly. into another building, they wanted to make sure they shot it down. And you guys were aware of everything. Right, correct, and I and that's so the pilot went back in and like and then that those fighter jets were there, and again I just I remember looking right into his eyes and he was just he was pale as a ghost because you can tell that he got he got his orders what to do and he wouldn't make eye contact with us he could not even and couldn't even look at us, that was like <laughs> that was it I called my mother on the phone did, did the whole thing on on the air phone just like happened you know again you keep hearing the stories about flight ninety three we have a lot of you know a lot of stories from that so it was, it was very similar. You know, even Eric, that. was that his name, the, the Young and Restless, Eric? You heard yeah, Eric, Eric even Brady. call his wife, but he went and tackled the guy. He was a hero. He tackled the guy. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and, and the whole thing got no press because again, we were just one day flying and they didn't want to freak everybody out. But then right. about a year later, um, what's her name? The blonde from, that was the original on, um, on an entertainment tonight did an interview with, I can't remember her name. She's very tip of my tongue. She did an interview with him and it was like a little four minute segment. And he told the whole story. It was like, you know, verbatim what my, what my recollection was too. And so now we, we kind of all talk about it, but it was a, it was very, very hidden at the time. And it was, and it, yes. was, not, it was not publicized at all. Well, so to make a long story short, what they did was they switched planes. They made you leave the plane. They interrogated every single person on the plane. You in particular, because you had a ticket to go to D Dubai, which you never made it to, but because you had that ticket to Dubai, you were considered a suspect. So nobody was able to sleep eat or go to the bathroom for 24 hours. Then they rerouted you to a whole new plane and took you back to Canada, to Toronto, and told you you're not allowed to talk about it. We're pretending right. this never happened. And when you landed in Toronto, the news media was there wondering why did this flight take 24 hours? So that was the end. Yep. Crazy. I, yeah, exactly. I, I actually went from a, a smooth space. I actually had a, I had my, my uh, beard starting to grow by the time we landed. That's how long it was. It's kind of weird things you remember, but I remember like my facial hair had grown that it took and so that it took so long. The Crazy. The okay, yeah. and I just want to end with this on this note because I found the end of this story to also be funny. I was laughing out loud. So you're driving to see a client, you rent a car, and I don't remember where you are, what city you are, but you're driving and you keep hearing these noises around you, but you don't see anything from any of your mirrors. The noise keeps getting louder and it's a weird rumbling noise. You're driving in your car, so happy. You're going to your client. Things are going great with you. You know what? You've got your 20th life back. All the things that happen, things are great. Right. And suddenly you see a tornado behind you. Right. I mean, yes, you I, can't even write this. Directors or writers can't even make this shit up all in one. This has to become a movie. So right. what happens? You hear it, and then you see it behind you, and you tell the girl who you're on the phone with. You were actually on the phone with the rep. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I don't know. If, I don't know if I mentioned it in the book, but I am. I'm kind of a frustrated meteorologist. So if I wasn't a chemist, I would be. That's what I'd be doing. So I have a, a really good understanding of hurricanes and tornadoes, and I mean, I, I, I kind of studied that also. So I I knew in the rearview mirror what I saw. It was a perfectly shaped F five. Funnel, and I was in Iowa, by the way. I was leaving a company in Iowa, and I was heading over to Kansas City. So I was in the middle of like farmland, and I told the, the, my rep on the phone, I, got, I literally have an F5. This has to be an F5 behind me, and it was going in the wrong direction, away from me. It was going in away from me, and all of a sudden it turned, and it was coming towards us. And I, I finally got to an underpass, an overpass, I should say, and got under it with a bunch of people from Iowa. And, she, and one lady had snow chains, uh, her chains for her tires, and she chained us. She was she was born and raised in Iowa. And she said she wasn't like a new a new thing for her, and she um, chained us to the bottom of the overpass. And that's where we this F15 went over. So I'm sitting there, and I watched my rental car get stuck up, and everything go flying out. And I start screaming, "Louie, Louie, oh my God, Louie!" She goes. <laughs> And you know, we had the tornado going and she's like, oh my God, is there somebody in the car? I go, no, it's my luggage. It's my luggage. And she's like, are you crazy? And this is like, this F5 is going over our heads. Um, where, I mean, it was so strong. It actually pulled the pavement off the street. It pulled your car up into the air, dropped it on yeah. the floor. And then you saw all your Louis Vuitton luggage land broken <laughs> on the floor with all your clothes over it, which right. was crazy. And then the funny, even funnier than that, like your stories never end. There's always more to it. You go check into the hotel looking like a mess. Your hair's flying. You have soot all I over you. My hair. 
disheveled, you had corn in your hair, and you tell the guy what happened as if he's going to be shocked. And he's like, oh, it happens all the time. You know, what room are you checking into? It was like nothing to them. Yeah, I, I called the rental car company, it was Hertz, and I go, you know, my car got sucked up by a tornado. I was like, oh, okay, we'll send you a replacement. Like, like I hit like a, a deer or something, like something was very, very common. Listen, the only thing I could say about all these stories that's bad is the fact that we weren't friends because I would have had a blast. This so all would we're friends now. I'm so happy because you. One, one thing I promised you that they're going to keep happening. You're not going to miss. You're not. I'm going to miss so them. excited, and I hope I'm around when they do. So we're going to have to stick together because this well, is what I live for. I get a lot of questions about. I mean, what what could I learn from the book? And you know, what could I, like you said, I really enjoyed reading and that kind of stuff. What can I learn? I literally. I'm not even kidding. Buy the book, read it, enjoy it, and do absolutely nothing that I did in it and you'll be, you'll be successful <laughs> a lot faster. Honestly, no, there is one thing they should do that you're a brilliant chemist and it's so unbelievable that you can be such a brilliant chemist and have such a magic nose to know perfumes and to know smells and to basically concoct these things that probably what 50% of the, the the world is using which is incredible. I mean that's something to be said. Yeah, and I, I, over 350 brands in the last 25 years. So it's a tremendous amount of product. It's amazing. So whoever's listening to this, you're probably using Vince Spinato's beauty stuff, using his perfumes, and you have to get my pursuit of beauty, the glitz and glam, and the batshit crazy. I'm so excited we had this talk. I'm sorry if I kept you longer than I was supposed to. I can't wait to chat again. Absolutely. It's delightful. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Rich. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com. 